EST is sponsored by Pastor Talk by Lifeway. Join host Marty Dern as he interviews pastors, professors, authors, and other ministry practitioners. Pastor Talk gives you tools and encouragement to shepherd your flock well. Subscribe to Pastor Talk in iTunes or your favorite podcatcher or listen online at lifewaypastors.com. Hi, and welcome to EST. If you love the established church, this is the place to have conversations about why the established church matters, how to better serve her, and to hear stories every week about how God is using the church for His glory and our good. The show is hosted each week by Sam Rayner, Josh King, and Micah Fries. We're glad you're here. Hi, friends, and welcome to this week's edition of EST. My name is Micah. I'm glad to be with you. And I am here in the studio, actually literally in the studio, on the campus at uh, Southeastern Seminary, who's been sponsoring the podcast for quite a while now. And I'm hanging out with a good friend of mine, Keith Whitfield, who is the Dean of Graduate Studies. He's the Vice President for Academic Administration, Assistant Professor of Theology, purveyor of all things theological education in Wake Forest, North Carolina. But we're going to talk today about the idea of um, theological education and the established church pastor. Why does it matter? How do you get it? That sort of thing. But before we do that, how are you doing, Keith? Doing great. I'm glad to have you on Southeastern's campus. We caught up a little bit of snow for you. Yeah, man. We had like, what, four or five inches yesterday? Yeah, I saw yeah. you guys were out sledding. We were out sledding. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to feel the pain for that tomorrow, probably. Had a few wrecks. Do you know how jealous I am of you out sledding yesterday? Probably zero. Not at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, not in the slightest. <laughs> I, I don't know if we've had this conversation before. I just knew you're not a sledding kind of guy. I, I love the outdoors. I just hate cold weather. And I don't like snow. I like to call snow the spit of Satan. So, you know, well, you know, the scriptures use snow imagery for different reasons. I know. I think it's a cultural thing somehow. I, I've got to figure out the exegesis behind that. <laughs> but I hate snow. Man, I hate snow. Um, yeah, I am, I'm here on, on campus of Southeastern. Obviously, you guys are a sponsor of the podcast, but I love Southeastern. I'm a student at Southeastern doing my PhD here. You did your PhD here. I did. At Southeastern. Yeah. You did your PhD in systematic? I did in systematic. wrote on the intersection of systematic, uh, really systematic method and missiology. And all cards on the table, to be clear, Keith is my supervising professor for my Ph.D., one of my two supervising professors for, for my Ph.D., so we're working together. Yeah, it took two of us. It, it takes two of you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, not only that, but Keith and I have a book coming out this fall, which we're pretty excited about. Yeah, we should mention be, that before we get started. Absolutely. I'm super excited about that book. Uh, it's a really, really relevant topic. Mm-hmm. Um, the growth and uh, the emerging uh, presence of Islam in North America and how to prepare the church for it. So I'm really excited for that uh, book to come out next uh, next fall. November 1 comes yeah. out on November 1st. Keith and I co-edited the book. We each wrote a chapter. About half the chapters are written by non-Anglo former Muslims, which is really exciting uh, to me. The forward is a guy who actually works here on campus, a Persian from Iran who came to Christ, and his story is powerful. He tells his story in the book. Yeah, Cumbies. Cumbies, yeah. He spoke good. on the floor of the SPC this year. He did. Yeah, and, uh, it's a it, powerful moment. It really is. I, I think the book's going to be outstanding. I think it's the first uh, major work that's going to be out there helping equip people specifically to help engage their you know North American Muslims. There's, there's plenty of books on how to engage Islam in particular, Muslims in particular. But That's right. What about the distinct group of Muslims who now live here in the U.S.? Maybe they've always been in the U.S. and have converted to the faith or, uh, you know, have immigrated to the U.S. as a refugee or immigrant. And so we're, we're excited about that coming out this November. 
Yeah, and I think the other thing it does is there are a lot of books talk about what Islam believes, how right. Islam different from Christianity, and we certainly deal with some of that stuff. But everything that we deal with is for the purpose of engaging Muslims with gospel conversations. That's right. And I think that's another distinctive of the book. And it it, it is, and it's a well-researched book. I mean, it, it's it's certainly something that someone could use in a classroom setting, but it's written for the average church member who just wants to know more. And, you know, they've got some some neighbors who just moved in and they're refugees from Iraq and they're, they're Muslims. And, and what do they do? How, what do they believe? How do they engage them? How can we be a friend and how can we help them uh, see and, and hear the gospel of Jesus in, in our lives? And so I'm, I'm excited about it. I think it's going to be a real asset, a tool to, uh, for the church. Yeah, my prayer is to quiet some fears and help people see opportunities they don't currently see in front of them. That's right. That's right. It's always good to have truth. All right. So today we're going to talk about uh, theological education and the pastor. Does it matter? Um, you are a professor and a vice president and dean at a seminary, so I, wage, I would wager that you think it does matter that, that pastors get some theological education. I do think it matters. I think theological education matters. Uh, I like to use the, the nomenclature theological education for ministry preparation. I'd rather talk about ministry preparation, yeah, sure. but I think theological education is a part of that. So uh, obviously I think it matters. I'm, I've got an undergrad in theology, a master's of divinity, I'm doing a PhD. But let's pretend I don't think it matters. How, how, would you, how would you convince me as a pastor or someone who's interested in being a pastor of an established church that theological education matters? Yeah, it's a really, really good question. And you know what, uh, what I tell people theological education is, and this may be the starting place, it's really, it's really an education of um, – Preparing someone to interpret and preparing someone to have conversations and to talk about the truth. That's that's what theological education does. And not just interpret a biblical text, but to interpret um, cultures, to interpret worldviews, and bring the, the biblical text and, and uh, what the church has believed now for 2,000 years into conversation to different contexts and, and different cultures. And that may be North America, it may be around the world. So it really is, it's a forming educational experience that prepares people to go anywhere to talk to anyone and get the ultimate things. And can you do that on your own? Absolutely. You can do it on your own. Can you do it underneath the, the mentorship of someone? Absolutely. But I think those are exceptions. Those are not the rule. And so a long time ago, the church decided we need to have a collecting place for education schools that will help train our leaders and train our ministers so that they can be dispatched out to the church. Uh, so, yeah, that work can be done. Uh, but there are few people that are equipped to teach themselves. And even fewer people who have the time and space perhaps to teach a large number of folks underneath their leadership the types of things that need to be taught that uh, a, a school can do. Yeah, I like, I like to say that um, good schools teach you things. Great schools teach you things, yes, but teach you to love learning and how to acquire knowledge. Yeah. And I feel like um, I feel like that's what my theological education has done for me. I mean, yes, it's taught me things. You asked me the question as we were coming into the studio today. Uh, I'm, I'm here for some PhD seminars this week. You said, "Did you learn anything?" And I did. But more than anything, I think one of the best things that's happened to me from a theological education is I've learned to love learning, and and I've been given tools to acquire more learning, more information, more knowledge beyond when my degree is over, so that I'm a perpetual student, whether I'm in a formal learning process or not. And ministry is uh, one of those things that requires us to be ongoing learners. And if you're not, you're not going to be effective. 
because questions come every week That's right. from people that you're, you're ministering to, from culture that have to be addressed, and you probably don't have answers sort of formed out for every question that comes your way, and yeah. you've got to go figure out how to do it. That's right. And you've got to figure out how to get those answers and to deliver those answers in such a way that uh, it's, it's uh, biblically faithful, it's theologically robust, but understandable and usable for right. those people you're serving. And that requires skill and a task, and, and skill and some fairly sophisticated tasks, for that matter. And uh, that's why I think what we do here at Southeastern is really, really significant work. And I think you make a good point. I don't care how much theological education we get. There are going to be questions that our, our education won't equip us to answer directly. But a good education equips us to know how to get those answers. Yep. You know, I think about – I was in – my college, uh, when I was a student in college, um, literally, I started college over 20 years ago now, which makes me feel a little bit old. But uh, when I was a student in college, nobody equipped me in my classes to answer the question of a parent who comes up and says, my child says that they're, um, you know, they're born physically male, but they're confident that they're a female. How do I help shepherd them through this as a follower of Jesus? We didn't ask that question. We weren't, we didn't answer that question in my undergrad. But I was equipped to know how to get at that question, ethical framework, theological mm-hmm. framework to get at that question. Uh, so what about a formal theological education then? We've talked specifically about this. We, we've talked a little bit about it. Um, let's say someone who is listening to this, maybe they're in college, they're 19, 20, 21 years old. They desire to be a pastor. They believe God's called them to be a pastor. There are a lot of different options right now for theological education. There's you know, you can do an online uh, program. You can come on campus um, this week. Literally, today was supposed to be the first day of new classes, right, here for the semester. Yeah, that's right. But the five inches of snow kept everybody from coming. So there's lots of options. You can do hybrid models. I mean, my PhD is basically a hybrid model. In fact, right. I'm teaching, starting next week, a hybrid model where we do four weeks of, uh, like, Skype sessions, and then we do one day on campus for this doctoral program that I'm teaching in. How should we go about thinking, uh, if I'm a young you know, 22-year-old, about what I should do next for theological education? Well, you used the word formal, and I assume you're meaning by that uh, a, a degree a cre- program. A degree like. program. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Probably even an accredited degree That's program. Yeah. Um, and so this is a, a sort of a unique way of getting ministry preparation or theological education. Uh, let me geek out for just a second when it comes to Please academic do. administration. Um, the whole thing about accreditation is for one purpose, is so that when you, when you sign up to go to a particular institution, you're saying that there are other peer institutions have come alongside and say, you get what they say they're selling. They've come in, they've evaluated the institution, and uh, they've looked at what we're doing, and they're saying, yeah, you get what Southeastern says that Southeastern's selling. Because when you sign up for a class, you pay your tuition, you commit to paying the tuition before you take the class. It's not one of these things at the end you get to get your money money back on. And so it's it's really a um, a seal of approval from sister institutions, like-minded sometimes, but sometimes just other institutions in higher ed that say, we've looked over their shoulder, we see what they're doing, what they're doing is what they say they're doing. And you have our you have our approval on it. In a sense, it's like the Better Business Bureau for academic institutions. That, that's, that's you can a, trust them. That's exactly right. Yeah. And there's red tape that comes along with it and bureaucracy that comes along with it. But it's about public trust. 
And so why that's important is this, is that education is um, – there, there's a process that goes along with it. There's best practices that go along with it. Um, and um, – just because you've read a book, just because you've learned what some particular person has said, doesn't mean you've become um, educated. And that you have the critical thinking skills, the writing skills, the artic- articulation skills, way of processing information and evaluating information that you get in formal education. So it just provides um, a set of a set of skills uh, that's part of an educational process that you may or may not get. Um, in a church discipleship program because those aren't, that's not the function, that's not the goal, and they don't have the same level of rigor of expectation. And if you're going to lead a bunch of people, um, you're going you're gonna, to uh, do it in the context, a very complex context, our culture and cultures around the world, then you need the best possible training for that purpose. And so formal theological education provides a certain rigor that does that. The other thing is, is that we have folks, we have, as a matter of fact, we have 60 of them, a little more than 60 of them, who are specialists in their field, and they teach their field. That means that they're looking over the shoulders of a bunch of other people writing in this particular field. They're listening to those conversations, and they're bringing that information to you um, and through the classroom and through, um, and through conversations outside the classroom, through their own writing. They're bringing that information to students, um, helping students understand what's going on in the world. And so I, you know, a pastor who's, who's well-educated and a pastor who uh, maybe has a Ph.D. in a particular discipline, because of all the demands of pastoral ministry, he can't be an expert in everything. And so a theological institution like Southeastern and some of our sister institutions, they have a, 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 a complete faculty um, the, uh, that um, that have expertise in multiple degree program and multiple, multiple disciplines, and uh, that's just that's an, it's a it's a gift to be able to study under folks that have mastered their discipline and they have done that for the purpose of preparing you to serve the church, and so uh, it, I don't think that's uh, replaceable through non uh, or informal theological education. Yeah, and I think there's also um, the challenge that. When you are working in maybe sort of an informal process, we have a tendency to not be challenged with ideas outside of our own typical sphere. That's if exactly that makes right. Sense. That's exactly right. And so a good formal academic process, an accredited institution of some sort like Southeastern or, or, or there's so many other great institutions as well. Um, when you are a student there, they're going to force you to face ideas, concepts that maybe um, you, you don't agree with or maybe you find challenging. And I know some people sometimes fear that process. They're scared that by doing that, you know, we expose people to, you know, wrong ideas, bad ideas. It threatens them. I don't think we should be threatened if we believe in truth and we believe that truth triumphs over those things. But we need to know how to engage those thoughts and ideals that maybe are contrary to our own. And uh, a sharp strong academic environment like Southeastern offers is going to help shape you in what the word says and then present some of these opposite ideals uh, in front of you and give you the tools to be able to think through them philosophically, theologically, ethically, morally, and so many other ways. And and, and not just uh, to challenge ideas outside of what we believe, but actually challenge what we we believe to make sure that it is um, as faithfully articulated as possible. I was talking to a student the other day who's thinking about Southeastern um, who has read a fairly popular systematic textbook. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the process, he was pretty sure that after reading that carefully over the course of a year that he had all the theology he needed. <laughs> sure. um, 
And then you know, and I challenged that, and I said, "You you understand that book, but you understand all the presuppositions of that particular writer. Have you have you thought critically about what he's saying um, in a conversation with other people who are saying about the same topic?" Mm-hmm. And said, "And you can't do that by yourself. Right. You need other people to come alongside of you and walk through these questions to help you think through them as carefully as you can, so that you can equip your people." Right. Yeah, I think that's I think that's really really helpful. Um, so so, what about the variety of options that are out there, Keith, on campus, online? What should someone think about how to gain a theological education? So this is a great question. Here's what I tell people: um, if you're in a context where um, you're getting ministry experience. And you've got people around you. They may not be doing the same degree program that you're doing. They may not be enrolled in uh, theological education. But they care about your your academic work. They're going to ask you questions. What are you learning? They're going to they're going to challenge you in those conversations. So you have a community of people that you're learning with. Uh, even if it means you've got to bring a lot of the classroom content to those conversations. So you're getting ministry experience. You've got a community of people that you're learning with, and you've got people that are discipling you and mentoring you. Then things like a hybrid model or, or distance learning, I think, are very good options for folks like that. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, there's some folks that are in those types of situations. I'm like, don't come to Southeastern because we're going to rip you out of a very healthy context mm-hmm. uh, where you're getting, you're growing and developing and preparing for ministry and ways that we can't reproduce. Um, But there are some folks that don't have those things. And frankly, what they're doing is they're taking a very busy life, engaging in in church ministry, working full time. And uh, and then what they're doing is they're adding theological education to it. And my concern for those folks is that theological education is an add-on, and it really is about information accumulation and it's not about ministry preparation, and there's nobody around them, nobody interested in their work pouring into them. So for those folks, I want to seriously ask them to consider, come to campus. Because when you come to campus, you're going to have students in the classroom who are interested in what you're doing, professors that are interested in what you're doing. There are churches around the campus that are also interested in being a part of your ministry preparation. Come to campus. We can give you something you don't currently have. Yeah, I, I've done all of the above options. I mean, I've been an on-campus student who lived on campus. I've been an on-campus student who lived off campus. I've been an online student, and now I'm a hybrid student where I do both sort of a combination. And I found all of them to be helpful at times and at points, depending on the context that I was in. I will say this, and, and this has been true for me. It's not true for everybody. I've served as a pastor during my college undergraduate program, during my master's program, and now during my doctoral program. And it has been challenging. It's been difficult. At times, it's just been flat hard. But it's been really helpful to me to be engaged in ministry while acquiring um, information in this academic environment. To be able to process and apply content immediately has been a really, really helpful model for me. And I did that. A lot of it I did while I was living on campus or living right off campus, just serving somewhere else. But that's been good. So let's talk about this. I think I mean, we would agree that we're in the low tradition, low church tradition, right? So we're in low church Protestant tradition. That's where uh, you and I fit as Baptist, and probably the majority of the people listening to this is evangelicals fit. There has been a bit of a history in low church um, evangelicalism to sort of push back against some forms of theological education and say, you know, all you need is the Bible and, and the Holy Spirit. What would your answer be to someone who says, that's enough? The Bible and the Holy Spirit, that's all I need. That's enough. 
Well, there's some sense in which I would say absolutely that's that's what you, that's what you need is the Bible and the Holy Spirit. What I would say though is that the Bible is a text that has to be rightly understood and handled, and the truths of the Scripture have to be rightly applied to their context. Mm-hmm. And um, very few people are gifted enough to be able to do that without being taught how to do it. Mm-hmm taught how to rightly interpret the scriptures, rightly handle the scriptures, right. and rightly teach the scriptures. And part of teaching the scriptures is doing theology from the scriptures. Right. Um, and so rightly doing theology. So it requires a theological method. And, and by rightly doing theology, I would say that includes disciplines like biblical counseling. That certainly includes the systematic theology and more formal discipline, biblical theology. It includes um, understanding the task of preaching in a local church, missiology, doing evangelism. All of these things are, in some sense, theological tasks right. uh, that require understanding the biblical text and applying the biblical text. And so what um, theological education provides or ministry preparation, it kind of goes back to what we saw where we started, how to rightly interpret and how to rightly communicate. Right. Communicate to interpret the scriptures and, communi- and interpret uh, context and then communicate about the scriptures to that context. So um, I think one of the things that often we miss, particularly in a Western context, right? So we're in a Western context here in the U.S. One of the things we miss is that almost none of the New Testament was written to an individual. It was almost always written to a community. That's right. And it was intended to be processed in community. So uh, I think one of the dangers of a Western approach to acquisition of biblical knowledge is to think, I just need me and my Bible and the Holy Spirit. So I agree with you. At a, at a fundamental level, you need the Bible and you need the Holy Spirit. But I would probably add one more thing to that. You need the Bible, you need the Holy Spirit, and you need a biblical community. You need a community who helps process theology and the word and, and helps you to think through that. Now, you could make the argument that the church is that community. And as you said earlier, if the church is positioned to help do that, then praise the Lord. If they're going to help ask difficult questions, force you to process your theology and to think through it, um, then that's great. But one of the things that a formal theological education does is it provides a community to help you process you know, biblical information uh, through and to help shape you in that manner. So let me ask you this thing, Keith. Let's say um, I don't have a community. What errors am I potentially opening myself up to? What am I going to be prone to uh, if I try and do this on my own? Well, you're going to do like through what everybody else does. You're going to read your context and read the scriptures and think theologically from your own perspective yeah. and your own biases. Uh, and you're not going to have a conversation that – uh, reveals biases, forces you to be self-critical, and helps you to think carefully about how you're communicating these things. Um, so we're, we all we all do that without outside input. We 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 think, we read, we interpret, we communicate from our perspective. Right. So if you don't have a community, that's what you're going to do. And if you have a community. Um, you still are probably somewhat perspectival. You're going to be the, the perspective of that particular community. Right. So that's one of the reasons why it's good for churches to be in conversation with other churches yeah. Um, yeah. and for us to be networked together. Now you're arguing for denominationalism uh, at uh, some level. At least connectionalism, <laughs> right? And basically. And you know I agree with you on this yeah. point. So, yeah, I, mean, yeah. I think that's right. Yeah, I think this is an encouraging point, and I think it's an important point. And I think as in an American context – 
we're not a persecuted people in America. And I know some people are trying to make the case that the American church is persecuted. It's not true. And nobody's losing their head or their, their hands right. for, to, for loving Jesus. We are, however, an increasingly marginalized people. I think that case can be made. And, and the church is losing its home field advantage, right? So culturally, societally, society is moving away from basic foundational Christian principles. It's going to be increasingly important uh, as we move forward as a people that we have the, the tools that we're equipped to make ethical, moral, and mostly biblical decisions in a culture that doesn't assume um, our posture. So, Keith, talk to us a little bit about that. How is the cha- transition of culture going to ne- necessitate or, or, or maybe increase the, the importance of some sort of a theological education? Yeah, um I mean, there's, there's a number of things. To listen to you talk first, I was, I was thinking this, um, that the change of culture is actually probably going to give us a new perspective on the gospel itself. Right. Um, yeah. So the gospel has been fairly comfortably at home in um, North American Christianity for the last uh, dec- the last century or so. And it's been um, easy for us to interpret the word through the lens of American Christianity. That's right. That's how we see the context when we read something. Right. So as things shift, I think our own understanding of the gospel and the significance of the gospel and the message and what we're called to, how we're called to live is going to um, probably, is going to be impacted by the, the shifts around us. Um, and with that, it, I think the resources of the gospel to engage um, other th- um, worldviews and other um, cultures, uh, we're going to see those more clearly. I think one of the things that happens right now is that because the gospel is so embedded in a particular culture, when another culture comes up, we see it as an offense of the gospel right. and um, instead of an opportunity to engage them with the gospel. And, and an opportunity to learn from them about the gospel. That's right. That's yeah. right. So I think that um, that's going to that that's going to change. Um, we're going to start. See, uh, hopefully, my my prayer is that once we understand our more more marginalized, we're going to see opportunities around us that we don't haven't currently haven't previously seen. Um, and we're going to learn things about our own faith because of that. And by engaging others, we're going to learn things about our faith, even right. if they don't affirm our faith. Right. Um, just by the, I mean, it happens to me every time I communicate to someone about the gospel um, who doesn't believe it, I learn something about the gospel because they yeah. ask me a question. Right. And I have to explain something that I had never had to explain before. And it gives me clarity and understanding. And so these things are going to, um, you know, they're going to impact. And then um, because we're going to be forced to communicate things in ways that we haven't been forced to communicate them, our understanding, our appreciation for the truth, the clarity of the truth, and the power of the truth, I think is going to be reinforced in the church. Yeah, it's going to be more real than maybe it has been in the past when, uh, when, you know, I've it's been said that the church is to be a contrast community, right, to the culture at large. We're going to increasingly find the importance of that contrast community. And and I think to your point, we're going to need to know what we believe. And uh, what we believe is going to matter more and more um, just because it's going to be in stark contrast to those who are around us. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's just take one or two minutes. Southeastern has been a sponsor of the podcast for a long time. Uh, you've got 60 seconds or so, convince the people listening why they should come to Southeastern in particular. Well, in this conversation, I would say um, that this is the heartbeat of Southeastern. Uh, We're a Great Commission seminary. Every classroom is a Great Commission classroom. What do we mean by that? What we mean by that is, regardless of what you're being taught 
the discipline that uh, that's being uh, under you know you're being instructed on New Testament, Old Testament theology, ethics, philosophy, all of these things are being taught in order to prepare you to do what the mission of our institution is to serve the church, to equip students to serve the church to accomplish the Great Commission. So these things aren't free floating theological disciplines. These are disciplines and the service of the Great Commission that Christ. His kingdom um, would advance, his name would reign, the church would be equipped to engage the lost. I think that's beautiful. And I, that's one of the things, that's one of the reasons why I'm doing my degree at Southeastern. I'm doing a missiology degree, and the mission um, is pervasive here. I love the fact that Dr. Aiken, the president, all the way down to you know a good friend of ours who used to be a Baptist history professor here, everybody is uh, engaging on mission, taking their families, serving globally, and your education's filtered through that lens. Thanks for hanging out with me for a few minutes this week, man. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you. You've been listening to EST, a discussion for the established church. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter, as well as subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcatcher. Thanks for listening. Support for EST is provided by Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. The mission at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. The school is located in Wake Forest, North Carolina, and offers more than 40 different degree programs ranging from Associate of Divinity to Doctor of Philosophy. With more than 3,400 students enrolled, Southeastern trains future and current ministry leaders to lead effectively, study the Word diligently, and preach the gospel unashamedly. Learn more about Southeastern by visiting www.sebts.edu. And come check out our campus to see how you can join the Southeastern family and learn how to go to reach your community, your nation, and your world. Wherever you're going, Southeastern will help you get there.